Well, we call it Palm Sunday, but 2,000 years ago, the Jews called it Lamb Selection Day. Uh, five days before Passover, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the Jews, sorry, would go out and select a lamb for the sacrifice. Quarter of a million lambs would be bought and sacrificed over Passover. And so the, the five days, fifth day before Passover, Jesus Christ comes down Mount of Olives, and it's as if God the Father is saying, here is my lamb for the sacrifice. The events of Palm Sunday uh, begin with Jesus making his way to Jerusalem. He sends two disciples into a village and tells them to go find a colt that they will find tied up in that village. Now, that colt would have been a colt that nobody had sat on before, which was in setting with the temple because any animal used at the temple would need to be an animal that had never been sat on before. So he instructs, too, that if anyone says to them anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. I think it's always interesting to note that when you look at Scripture and Scripture unfolds, that we see how Jesus always veiled who he was when he was in Galilee. When he was in Galilee, when he was ministering, he would always say, he would always heal somebody and say, now, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. But in Jerusalem, he was very open about who he was. In fact, if you think back in Scripture as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, his parents looking for him, he said to his parents, why, uh, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, that's the first time anybody called God father. Nobody had ever called him father before. At age 30, Jesus is again in the temple, and he cleanses the temple, and he says that this is my father's house. Now, that was strong speech back there. Now, in Matthew chapter 21, verse number 4, he says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I want you to do something this morning. I want you, as you're in Matthew chapter 21, I want you to take a little finger and go into Luke chapter 19. We'll get there in a little bit. And also, if you will, take a thumb, put it in Psalms chapter 22. When I hit Psalms 22, you know I'm almost done, okay? But for the next three hours, we're going to stand and go through Matthew. So just sit back and relax, okay? So let's look chapter 19, Psalms number 22. Let's uh, close our eyes and come before the Lord. And Father, we open up the book and we look at Scripture this morning. And Father, I pray if there's one here that's never come to the moment of their life where they've surrendered their life to you, that God, I pray that today that the Holy Spirit we speak to that person and that, Lord, you would draw them to you. Father, we never stand and preach to entertain anybody, but, Lord, we open up your word 
And Father, we handle with care your precious word. And Father, we pray you will bless us today in thy name. Amen. Well, let me give you a couple of points this morning. I always preach in points. Point number one is this. Let's talk about the Lamb of God, okay? The Lamb of God. Matthew 21, verse number 7 says, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. Now, there's the significance of the colt, uh, as I've just explained, that any animal set apart to be used in the temple would need to be an animal never used before. And indeed, for Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem, that's exactly what they would be looking for. Over the next five days, uh, it would seem that everything that God had planned had gone wrong. That's the way that it seems. But everything we see, we see that, that everything happened for a reason. Let me show you Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. 500 years before Scripture, uh, before this event ever took place, Scripture was written, it said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years before Jesus Christ rides in Jerusalem, that scripture was written and how it would take place, not some old flea-bitten animal, but this young colt that had never been sat upon before. So as Jesus is on the colt and coming to Jerusalem, everybody sees that, recognize what it is, and they immediately recognize what's being said. Have you ever heard this? Jesus never actually said he was God. I've heard that time and time again. That Jesus, well, he never actually said he was God. Oh, yes, he did. He said it time and time again, but not in a Western way. We, we're from the West. We're from Western. We're Western people. We're not country and Western, but we're Western people. People in the East spoke not in words like we do, but they spoke in word pictures. When Jesus steps forward and says, I am the light of the world, they knew exactly what that meant. I am living bread. They knew exactly what that meant. You see, Jesus coming on the colt, coming into Jerusalem, they automatically knew that what that meant. It was a picture of royalty. Now, there were three ways that people came to Jerusalem. They would come sitting on a white charger or a, a, a horse of war, or they would come on foot, or they would come sitting on the back of a donkey. When a town was captured, conquerors would come in a, on the back of a horse or on a white charger to say that we have conquered this city. Pilgrims came in foot thousand years before Christ came, King Solomon came to Jerusalem riding on the back of a colt, and people automatically knew that that represented royalty. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem, everyone recognizes the significance in what was being said. And it said, right here, 
is the rightful heir to the throne. God is saying, this is your Messiah. Now to us, a donkey is a cute animal that we can have a ride on in Blackpool. But a donkey in the east was called a beast of burden. Now listen, here comes the one who bears our burden, riding on a beast of burden. And for the Jew, they would have recognized the significance. No other king has ever brought peace. Name me one king, one prime minister, or one house of parliament that's ever brought peace. All they've ever brought was confusion. Every conqueror that ever came to Jerusalem always came in the back of a military horse. Alexander the Great's men, the Sadducees, the Maccabees, General Pompey, all came in the back of a war horse. But here is the Son of God, the King of Kings, and he rides on a colt. That says that there is something different about this one. There is something different about this one. We call it Good Friday, uh, Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday, but to the Jews, they called it Lamb Selection Day. And God is saying, I've already selected my lamb, and here he is. Let me give you point number two. Let's talk about the salvation of God. Verse number eight, it says, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. You see, when a king came, the tradition would be that people would take rugs and other materials and lay them on the road to roll out the red carpet. To roll out the red carpet that this was a special person. And so they come and they lay down their garments and they lay down these things and they're rolling out the red carpet. And when they see Jesus come in the Lamb Selection Day, they instantly understood the significance here. And they begin to sing. And they begin to sing. It says, verse number nine, then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What were they doing? Well, they were actually singing a song from Psalms 118. Uh, Psalms 118, verse 25, it should come up. It says, uh, save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. So what the Jews are singing is, save us and give us prosperity. Now that word save us is translated into uh, the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew word, it's translated into Hosanna. And uh, they were singing, or we sing Hosanna in the highest. And they were, we sing it like it's a song of peace. But to the Jew, it was a war cry. This wasn't some little, nice little song of peace. This was actually a war cry. You see, in Lamb Selection Day, he presents himself as royalty, riding on a colt. The people immediately recognize that immediately recognize what's going on, and they begin to sing what is called a Hallel song. That being to sing, save us now. But what they're singing 
wasn't for peace, but was for a military solution to their problems. Not only that, they began to cut down branches. Verse number eight, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. Now, we look at the palm tree and we think of the palm branch and we think of a, a, a sign of peace. It wasn't a sign of peace. It was actually a rebel flag. You see, in 168 BC, Antioch Epiphanes invaded Jerusalem. Now, when he invaded Jerusalem, he sacrificed a pig in the temple, sprinkled blood all over the, over the place, and he force-fed the, the priests in the temple to eat pork. Now, there was another guy called Judah Maccabeus. This guy was like a more, uh, would be our equivalent to Robin Hood's. He raised an army, and he defeated Antioch Epiphanes. And he used a sign to rally the countrymen. And that sign was a palm branch. So when they saw a palm branch, it didn't, didn't mean, here comes peace. It was this. It's time to stand up and fight. Here comes Jesus on Lamb's election day, riding on a colt, a sign of royalty. The people begin coming and running their thousands, singing, come save us now. And while they stand, they stand with a sign of stand up and fight. And guess who's watching? The Romans. They're at the city's gates. They're on the city's walls. And that's why the Jewish leaders come and they say to Jesus, you got to get these people to stop. You got to get these people to stop singing this. You got to get these people to stop shouting this. And their biggest fear came in 70 AD when indeed the Romans came and encamped outside of Israel and destroyed Jerusalem. What was the crowd saying? The crowd was saying this. If he is going to be our king to defeat our enemies, we are ready to fight. But if not, come Friday, we're going to nail him to a cross. Because he is not the kind of Messiah that they were looking for. You see, loved ones, Jesus comes and says, I'm not going to be the Messiah you want me to be. I'm not going to be the Messiah that makes you comfortable in your life. I'm not going to be the Messiah who makes you financially sound. And I'm not going to be the Messiah who jumps to your every whim. But I'm going to be the Messiah who saves your souls. Who saves your soul. When a man breathes his last, doesn't matter what that man's accomplished in life. Doesn't matter what he has done. What matters is where does that man or that woman, where does that person stand with Christ? That's the, that's the, the, the point of life. It doesn't matter when you breathe or laugh what, you're, what you've accomplished. But where do you stand with Christ? Let me show you the last point. Point number three is this. The compassion of God. 
There's something that happened directly after this that I want to show you, but you're going to have to take your, your little finger and go into Luke chapter 19. Because as Jesus comes and they're singing and they're ready to fight, Jesus comes and in Luke chapter 19, verse number 41, it says this in verse 41. Now, as, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Here the people are getting ready to fight and Jesus sees that, sees them, hears them, and he breaks, out, breaks down and he cries. You've got to ask yourself, why does he weep? The reason he weeps, loved ones, is the people have no idea who he is. They want a military solution to their problem. It says he... Now, as he drew, drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, if you had known me, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Here he is, the one who brings peace. They think getting rid of the Romans will bring him peace. We think, if I can just get all my bills paid... That will bring peace. And maybe some of you women say, if I can just get him sorted out, that will bring me peace. But Jesus says, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue about peace. Jesus says, you don't have a clue what brings peace. Here is the prince of peace, sitting on an animal of peace, riding into the city of peace, and the people, loved ones, they just don't see it. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never been in church before. Or maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you've never come to the moment of your life where you've surrendered your life to Christ. Because you say, I just don't see it. Maybe this morning the scripture is open and the Holy Spirit will speak to your, into your life. That you'll recognize that this one who came, God's Messiah, is the Son of God. The one that takes away the sins of the world. Do you see that little verse in uh, verse 42? But now they are hidden from your eyes. Do you know what that means? It means every time we reject truth, we become a little more blinded to the spiritual. Every time we come to church and we sit and we listen to Scripture, or we read in our Bible, in our daily reading, when we look at something in Scripture and we say, no, I don't believe that. No, I reject that. We become a little bit more hard spiritually. Look what Jesus says. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Less than 40 years later, a legion of Roman soldiers encamped on the Mount of Olives on the same spot that Jesus cries over the city. And they broke down the walls and they killed over a million Jews and scattered the Jews throughout the world. If you go there today, you can still see 
those rocks there just being pushed over from the Temple Mount. As Jesus wept over the city, loved ones, he wasn't weeping over rocks and stones. He was weeping over people because he knew their future. He knew their future and he wept for them. And he looked and he saw into their lives and into the future and he wept for them. Loved ones, he came and presented himself as God's lamb. But five days later, God's lamb was on the cross. And as Christ was on the cross, thousands of lambs were being taken into the temple for the slaughter. And men gathered, putting their faith in the blood of animals. And just outside the city walls was God's lamb on a cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he said something that has been very controversial over the years. It's found in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. It said this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, it's actually Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Eli is Hebrew. Eloi is Aramaic. You say, what was Jesus doing on the cross? He was speaking both Hebrew and Aramaic in a mixture. Now, why would he do that? Well, he's, he's close to death. He's suffering on the cross. He's close to death. Do you know what Jesus was doing on the cross when he quoted when he said those words. He wasn't losing his faith. It wasn't that he was in despair because God the Father had turned his back on him. It wasn't that he was losing his faith and, and all of a sudden he was, he was crying out to God the Father, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you left me here? He was actually quoting scripture. You see, there's a, a little Jewish uh, teaching method called... Uh, a Kesher. And a Kesher would be that you quote scripture that would take the mind to a particular point in the Old Testament because there was no chapters and there was no verses. So when Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Do you realize that God's lamb was teaching from the cross one last time before his death? And he quoted from Psalms 22. So if you've got your, your thumb in there in Psalms 22, I want you to look at that. And we'll find out what, God, what Jesus was saying on the cross. Psalms 22, verse number 1. In Psalms 22, you have 900 years before the crucifixion, a description of the crucifixion. Before it ever took place, 900 years to 1,000 years before it ever took place, you have a description of the crucifixion. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? When Jesus said, my God, my God, on the, on the cross, for the Jew, that would have taken their mind right back to Psalms 22. And he was teaching one more time. In Psalms 22, in verse number 6, it says, 
but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake their head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Doesn't that remind us of the events of Jesus on the cross where the crowd gathered around and said, look at him, the son of God, look at him hanging on the cross. He wanted to help the whole world. He wanted to save the whole world. Let him help himself. Verse 14, watch this description. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted within me. My strength is dried up like potshed. My tongue clings to my jaw. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. A thousand years before it ever took place, Psalms 22 was a description of the crucifixion. And why was Jesus teaching from the cross? Well, Jesus was on a cross and he knew it didn't look good. And here's what he was saying, guys, I know this doesn't look good. But let me tell you, it ends well. And he took them to Psalms 22 because they know from my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? What was happening in the front of them was a description of the cross. Now watch how it ends, verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Prosperity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. Love, when you see what Jesus is saying on the cross, I know it looks bad, but remember Psalms 22, that yes, it looks bad, but it all turns out well, that thousands upon thousands of people will come to God the Father because of God's lamb and his sacrifice on the cross. Now, loved one, I don't know any of you this morning. I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know if, you're, if you've always come to church. And I don't know if you've, you would consider yourself a born-again believer. But here's what I do know. I know that every man and woman is born with a problem. Every man and woman, we're all born with a problem. The problem that we have, it's not outside of us. The problem we have is not outside of us. It's not who our parents were. That's not our problem. Our problem is not where we were born. That's not our problem. It's not that the opportunities that we were born into. That's not our problem either. The problem we have is within, and the problem's called sin. That's the problem. The answer to our problem is not found within. I cannot just begin to be sinless. I cannot just be decide to be good. The answer to my problem is outside of me, and he's called Christ. 
Now, let me ask you a question this morning. What are you going to do with God's lamb this morning? What are you going to do with Christ this morning? I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're, you're a person that gave your, your life to Christ. I don't know if you're a person that considers yourself a born-again believer. You've come to that moment in your life where you surrendered your life and followed him. Maybe you're just a, a good guy or consider yourself a good guy. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. I come along to church. I do my best. But what about the sin that's within? What about the sin that's within? God sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, to come. Did God know? Did Jesus know that he would be rejected? Of course he did. But he came and he presented himself as Messiah. And he would take him and nail him to a cross. And he nailed him to a cross for a reason, loved ones. Because what Jesus did on the cross paid for your sins and my sins. But only when we come to a moment of our life where we cry out to God and say, God, I know that I am a sinner. And I know I need a savior. Do we enjoy the gift of salvation? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. If you've never come to Christ before, if you've never come to Christ, there is no better time than right now where you are. You say, Graham, do I need to go through a man? No. You can cry out to God right where you are, where you sit, and you can say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. But God, I need a savior. And God, I recognize your son. I recognize him as a payment for my sins. My faith is in him and what he did on the cross. You fathers were gathered here this morning. I pray, Lord, if there's one or two that's never accepted you as savior, that Lord, right now, the Holy Spirit would be touching their hearts drawing them to you, and that, God, they would cry out to you. But, Father, also pray for those that may have been far away from you. Maybe they haven't been living the way that they should. God, would you touch their hearts too and bring them back to you? That, God, they would be close to you in a close relationship. Father, there is a world that is dying. And it's a world that is dying, cares nothing for you, and Lord, we are their hope to tell them about you. So Father, I pray, bless us today in thy name. Amen. 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 Thank you.